Today, Pastor Javen continues the series called The Greatest of These. In part two, we will see that God's love is an uncomfortable love. But before we begin, ask yourself, how often do I allow God's love to take me out of my comfort zone? So take a moment to pause and pray, preparing your heart for today's service. So we're glad that you're here today, and uh, we are jumping back into the series we started last week called The Greatest of These. We started this series, we said that uh, Paul, in his letter to the church of Corinth, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he told us about three qualities in our walk with Christ that should stand out above anything else, and that is faith, hope, and love. And he said that the greatest of these is love, right? So we started this series last week called The Greatest of These, and we said we're going to look at the love of God as portrayed, as pictured, as described through three minor prophets in the Old Testament, and how Jesus Christ even came and exemplified that love and called us to this love even at a greater level. Last week, we started with the prophet Malachi, right? Malachi, maybe that's how you say it. But we looked at the prophet Malachi and we, uh, we talked about how God's love is a healing love. He said this, in, and we read it in chapter 4 of uh, Malachi. He said that the son of righteousness, he prophesied, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And we said that the son of God was that son of righteousness who would come and who would bring healing in his wings to heal us to the very core of where we need to be healed, our soul, our sinful hearts. That through the love of God and through his healing, he can take us and he can turn us away from being a self-centered, self-seeking group of people to being a God-centered, God-focused people who are allowing him to work and move in our life and to bring that healing love to others that we come in contact with as well. Today, we're going to look into another prophet, and that is the prophet Amos. Amos. All right, he's a, Malachi is the end of the Old Testament. You'll jump back. He was, he's kind of that third minor prophet that you see after the major prophets. I don't, I don't know if they're called the major prophets, but the, the bigger books of prophecy, right? So Amos, Amos is going to show us something about God's love that's a little bit different in the fact that God's love can be an uncomfortable love in the sense that it draws us out of our comfort zone. God's love isn't a love where it just keeps us where we like to be and be comfortable. It moves us. It moves us in a way that isn't always easy. What we need to know about Amos is Amos was not a vocational prophet, I guess, if you will. He, he wasn't one that was mentored by other prophets. Uh, he was a regular guy in the sense that he wasn't raised up in, in, in ministry. In fact, let's, we can see it from his words. Amos chapter 1. You can, you can go there to, to the prophet's book and, and Amos. And um, Amos chapter 1, verse 1. It, it starts this way saying this message was given to Amos. And then it describes who Amos is. A shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions Two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. So it's just giving us a timeline of where Amos is in in, in the course of history of Israel. But the thing that I want us to notice is that Amos was a what? Shepherd. He was a shepherd. 
And you can skip over to chapter 7, and Amos even describes who he was a little bit more. He's actually in a place, and we're going to see this in just a second, he was actually in a place kind of defending himself. And in Amos, in, in chapter 7, verse 14, he's, Amos is replying, and he's saying this, I'm not a professional prophet. I was never trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd. And I take care of sycamore trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock. And he told me, go and prophesy to my people in Israel. See, Amos was just, I guess, a blue collar worker, if you will. Just doing his job, what he was supposed to do every day to make a living for him and his family. A shepherd looking over trees, but God called him. And he listened to the call of God and he knew that God had put in him something that needed to be shared. That's why I thought it was so fitting that today was a day that we prayed over Mr. Paul and Miss Cindy. They, I mean, if you follow Mr. Paul on social media, he's essentially a farmer. He loves farming. But he knows that God has called him to speak a word. God, give us more people who realize the call that they have on their life from you. There's, there, there are people in this room that God may be calling to do something. I had the privilege of sitting down and, and having uh, breakfast one day several weeks ago with a young man. He's actually close to my age, so I'll still call him a young man. But, uh, but he was talking about his life and what he was doing and, and what he feels like God is calling him to do. And he said, and you know, I sometimes wonder... A stage is not what I'm after, but I wonder, is a stage what God is calling me to? He wasn't really comfortable in that. And I just had this opportunity to encourage him. He doesn't go to church here, but my my prayer is that God will just, God's going to wake up people and, and call them, spiritually wake up and call them to what he's calling them to. And that might be you in this room today. And we want to do anything we can to help you move towards that place to where God might want to use you and might have you. But Amos, the prophecy that he began to prophesy was not a very popular prophecy to the nation of Israel. Because Amos began to bring a message of warning to the northern nation of Israel. And it was during a time of prosperity for them. A time when everything was going really well. And when everything is great, nobody wants to be warned about something bad. Right? So they're not really excited about what he is telling them. And and in fact, the nation was trying to excuse the sin that was in their life and excuse their lifestyle because of who they were. We're the called people of God. So they were trying to look past some of the things in their life because they were the called people of God. They were trying to look past some of the things in their life because they continued to do religiously what they were supposed to do. They were bringing their offerings. They were doing their sacrifices. They were going to the temple. They were being a part of what God had called them to do. And so all of this 
was just an excuse to overlook things in their life and what they were doing. And they didn't want to listen to what Amos had to say. In fact, there was even a priest who was telling the king, don't listen to Amos. If you're still in Amos chapter 7, you jump back to verse 10. It tells us this. It says, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, not this Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is hatching a plot against you right here on your very doorstep. What he's saying is intolerable. Wow. Why, why, did Amos, why did Amos, or why did they not want to listen to Amos? Why did Amaziah not want to listen to Amos? Why was he telling them, don't listen to what he's saying? Because what Amos was saying wasn't tickling their ears. You know, we even have a, a, a warning to that in the New Testament. Paul warned that there would be a day, Timothy, that, that there would be a day when people would just listen to what tickles their ears. See, Amos was speaking something that was calling them out for things in their life to bring conviction, to confront them in a way to actually bring them back to God. But that's not what they wanted to hear. They liked the way their life was. They liked their cushion, cushiony couches and things that they were getting to sit on and the lifestyle they were getting to live. See, we, we like it when the message makes us feel good, don't we? We like it when that message <clears throat> brings me comfort <laughs> and encourages me. But as soon as it starts hitting a little bit, as soon as it steps on our toes, as soon as it confronts us and convicts us, we start wondering, I don't think the pastor's hearing from God this weekend. And, and, and it happens to me too. I always sit, I'll study and I'm reading things and I'm seeing this. I'm feeling like God is leading me in certain ways or speaking things into my life. And I'm like, really? Why, why, why are you pointing that out? But I, I, I ask that you pray for me and I ask, and, and whoever feels a place where they speak God's word. And I ask for your willingness and your openness, openness to say, God, I don't want to just hear the things I want to hear. I want to hear the things I need to hear. I, I don't want to just, I don't want to hear the things that just affirm me. I want, I want to hear the things that confront me. I don't want to hear the things that just comfort me and bring me peace. I want to, those are good things. I want to hear those things, but not just those things. God convict me too where I need to be convicted. Offend me even if I need to be offended. To wake me up and see where I am and where you want me to be. The book of Revelation, we see these different churches and throughout in these churches, Jesus is pointing out to them and saying that he has removed his presence from them because of things that they had tolerated and allowed. God, help us to never tolerate things in our life or in the body that cause us to lose the presence of God. Let us never be to that place. Listen, conviction, confrontation can be uncomfortable. But love makes that happen sometimes. When it's necessary and when it's needed in our life. See, God makes it clear through Amos and all throughout scripture 
that if we want the presence of God in our life and in the body of Christ and in our churches, then we have to take sin seriously. And not just the popular sins, the big sins, all sin. We have to take it seriously. We have to realize, wait, 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 wait. Before you give me that prayer request. Are we really praying for someone? Are we just taking an opportunity to talk about what they're doing? Well, I'm not committing adultery, no, but when I, it's in that same list, I think. Hang on. We, we have to take seriously sin in our life. No one of us is above it. We're all susceptible. But we have to take it seriously. And the primary thing that Amos is pointing out to the nation here is that God... He does not overlook injustice, even on the part of his own people, just because they're his own people. Amos is reminding the nation, and he reminds us today, that justice is, the, is a part of the character of God. Treating others justly, respectfully. See, Amos saw a blessed nation that was refusing to love their neighbor. He saw a blessed nation that was taking advantage of those around him. He saw a blessed nation that was only looking out for themselves and thinking about what they had and how good they had it. See, he's holding the nation accountable And he points out that their lifestyle is evidence that even though you're going through the motions and you're doing the religious things, your heart is not with God. You're not walking with him. You're not following him. In fact, in in chapter eight, he says, he, he gives, he has this vision. He says that you're, God gave me this vision. You're like a basket of summer fruit. What does he mean by that? He's saying, you're like this basket of fruit that, that, that's really at the end of its season. And on the outside, there might be some, some point, some fruits that look okay, but on the inside, it's full of rot and decay. And as soon as you take a bite into it, you realize just how rotten it is. See, rather than doing what the, the prophet Micah, who would come after Amos, see, all these prophets were all calling them to the same thing. Michael would say to the nation to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. They weren't doing any of this. They were self-righteous, materialistic, idolatrous, and arrogant. That's who they were. But before we condemn them, we need to look at ourselves and think, do I ever stand in that same place? Do I ever wear those same shoes? Because sometimes I bet we might find that we do. Remember I said they're trying to excuse their sin and excuse their lifestyle because of who they were is that they were the nation of God because of they were going through the religious motions. I want us to look at a very convicting passage of scripture from Amos, a convicting prophecy that he gave to the nation. But man, is it convicting 
to us, to the church, to our nation as well today. Amos chapter 5, verse 18. He says this. What sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here. You have no idea what you're wishing for. That day will bring darkness, not light. And that day you'll be like a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. That doesn't sound like a good day, does it? And then listen to this. Escaping from a bear, he leans his hand against the wall just to rest for a minute and gets bitten by a snake. That's not good. It says, yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless without a ray of joy or hope. Well, that's not what I'm thinking of the day of the Lord, right? That's not my mentality. That's not what we typically think about. And then listen to these words. These will hit. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings, your grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I'll not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. An endless river of righteous living. This is what he's calling us to. If Amos was saying this to us today, he might say, you come to church, you sing your songs, you give, you serve, and all of those are good things. Please, mind, be mind. we talked about them just the last few weeks. Those are great things. But he points this out. Doing those things mean nothing if the rest of your week demonstrates your heart differently. What, what we may believe about God is not demonstrated in the hour, hour and 15 minutes that we're in this room or on this campus together on a Sunday morning. What we believe about God is demonstrated in how we live our life every day of the week around the people that we are around. Sunday should be a continuation of every day of the week. Sunday should be a celebration of who God is and what we're allowed to do, the blessings that he's given us, the love we get to show. Sunday should be a continuation of that, not a mask we wear to cover up the rest of the week. A.W. Tozer made this statement. He said, Christians don't tell lies. They just come to church and sing them. Now, I think Christians do probably tell some lies every now and then, but you get the point of what he's making. Because we'll show up in church and we'll make it look like everything is good with us and God. But the way we live, the way we treat others, the way we act, it doesn't represent a relationship with God. Look again at 521. Go to that next slide. You might want to underline that in your Bible. Highlight it in your Bible. Circle it in your Bible. If you're using a Bible app, highlight it. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy. 
God, help us if Jesus and God ever look at something in our life and say, I hate that you're doing that because all it's doing is it's a religious mask for the rest of your life. Religious zeal does not make up for moral shortcomings. Only the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ can do that. That is the only thing that can make up for our moral shortcomings. And Amos points out that if you've truly experienced, if you truly can remember what I, God has done for you and this nation, if you truly knew the mercy that God had shown you and how he rescued, you were a poor people in slavery to Egypt on the door, doorbed of, uh, doorstep of death. But I heard your cries and I pulled you out. I chose this nation. It was no better than any other nation to be the one that I would bless by birthing Jesus Christ through. He said, if you truly understood that mercy, then you would be living your life differently. Jesus would look at us and said, if you truly understood grace, if you truly understood the mercy I've shown you in your life, your life might be lived differently. I think about Mary in her alabaster jar when she went to the Pharisee's house where Jesus was hanging out and Jesus was sitting there and she comes in and she breaks this expensive jar and begins to wash his feet with it and washing his feet with her hair. And this Pharisee sitting back in the background thinking just to himself, if only Jesus knew who this woman was. This was supposed to be a man that understood the mercy of God. But was looking at this. Nothing in over 400 years had changed in this Pharisee's heart. Well, he wasn't that old. But there was nothing from what had been passed down had changed in his heart. He was still looking at this person with disgrace. And Jesus, not thinking his thoughts out loud, but saying them out loud so that the Pharisee could hear them. If only you understood forgiveness. Because those who have been forgiven much, they live different. Do we understand the forgiveness that God has given us in our life? Biblical justice, the way we see people, the way we treat people, biblical justice, I'm not talking about what we're seeing in, in, on every political aisle that's really dividing our nation. Biblical justice is different from that. It's bigger. It's deeper. You know, Jesus taught us that we've got to love others. Look at what Jesus did in Luke chapter four. This is, he goes into the temple and he's there and he grabs the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet. And he goes to a certain point in that prophecy and he just reads these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he just rolled the scroll back up, Luke tells us. And he handed it back to the attendant. That's all I need to read. 
I'm good. He sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue just looked at him intently. That's what we call today a mic drop moment. I mean, you think about the silence that's in, that, in the synagogue at that point, And everybody's just looking at him. What are you saying? He was saying exactly what they thought he was saying. The Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about, that all these other prophets prophesied about, that he was talking to you about. Amos, said, Amos even says in his word, you're going to go through, there, there's going to be a famine of God's word. In other words, they're going to go through a period where they don't hear from God. We talked about that last week, almost 400 years. He said, that's me. I'm here. And he's brought me to minister. Not just to you who sit in comfortable places, but to everybody. To the poor, to the blind, to the oppressed. Is there a spiritual aspect of that? Yes, of course there is. But Jesus, when you look at who he literally ministered to when he walked this earth, he ministered to the marginalized to the overlooked, to the outcast, to the unloved. He told his, the Pharisees, you, you know, you, you, the warnings that these prophets are given. And, and Amos makes this statement, I hate your show in pretense, speaking for God. Well, Jesus calls it out himself. You take some time to read Matthew 23 if you've never done it. He is calling out the Pharisees for their show and their pretense. And in that, he even tells them, he says, you tithe a tenth of your cumin and all your spices, which is good. You should do those things, he says. You should tithe. But you're neglecting other things. And what does he tell them they neglect? You neglect justice, mercy, and faith. See, Jesus taught his disciples that sometimes we have to go through Samaria, not around it. And if you're wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Well, there was a moment, Samaria was a place that the Jews didn't walk through. Because that was a group of people we don't associate with. But Jesus decided to walk through Samaria. The disciples couldn't find him. They didn't know, where did he go? Where did he go? He was walking through Samaria and he meets a woman. Who had been married five different times and the man she's living with now is not even her husband. A sinful lifestyle. And Jesus loves her. And he offers her a new way of life. And his disciples find him. And they realize, you know what? Sometimes we need to go through places we don't want to go through. Places that make us a little uncomfortable. Because we don't know what God might do through us in those places. He taught his listeners that loving him meant that we're going to be a people who give. A people who are hospitable. A people who embrace others even when it's typically people we want to avoid. Why? Because he looked at those who were listening and he was talking about the end of times and he was telling them they were going to be separated. And he says, you either loved me or you didn't love me based on if you gave food to those who were hungry. You clothed those who were naked. You gave something to drink to those who were thirsty. You visited when I was in prison. The least of these, 
when you did for the least of these, Jesus says. In other words, what? When you showed my justice. When you showed just love to those around you. You were representing me. Let there be a mighty flood of justice that comes from the people of God, those who follow Christ. And this justice is going to cause us to not look at people with partiality. It's going to cause us to, to look past our assumptions that we have with, of people because presumptions and assumptions we have about people, they, they are what lead us to behave around those people the way we do. The way I assume, what I assume about someone, how I presume that person to be, that affects how I treat them. Well, justice is going to cause us to lay all those things down. It's going to require us to go to step out of our comfort zone. Justice calls us to these things, but Jesus Christ has called us to this just love. And what else did Amos say to them? He, he warned them about the day of the Lord. Why did he warn them about the day of the Lord? Because see, what they were thinking about was God's power was going to come manifest itself against all those who weren't a part of their nation. But Amos is pointing out that God's power is going to be manifested, but it's going to be manifested against those who are in sin. But here's the good news of Jesus Christ. That in him, when we put our life in him, his righteousness is put on us. Romans chapter three, real quick. It says this, Paul's writing his letter to the church of Rome. And he tells them this in verses 22. Let's look, let's look at it in, this, in the translation. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. See, sin shows no partiality. But neither does God's just love. And when we embrace Christ and what he's done for for us, then as, as Paul would say in the next chapter, just like with Abraham, it is credited to us as righteousness. So when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees our righteousness. So that righteous living frees us in Christ, but it also calls us in Christ. Years ago, a man by the name of Augustus Toplady wrote a song called Rock of Ages. And there's a story that goes that he was in a, in a place in a field in England near Burrington Combe. And at this place near this field, he, a, a storm comes up and he sees this rock, this big cave-like area, this cleft inside this rock. And he goes and he hides in that. And while he's in there, God begins to speak to his heart about who he is that he is a rock that we can hide ourselves in. And so because of his good love to us, because of his goodness to us, we're able to hide in that rock of ages. 
He was the rock of ages, cleft for us. He's the only one that can save us. He can only, he's the only one that can bring us into this righteous living that Amos called the nation to. So his love, his call, we receive his righteousness. And then we walk in his just love. God, let there be a mighty flood of justice and a river of righteous living in your people. Let us hide ourselves in the rock of ages. As we hide ourselves in Him, let us be overwhelmed by His presence, overwhelmed by His love, overwhelmed in such a way that we are moved with passion and compassion for those that He calls us to. Stand with me this morning. As we wrap up this day, Frontline sings this song of worship. I want you to treat this moment as a moment of prayer, reflection in the presence of God. This may mean that you find a place here at the altar. It may mean that you find a place there at your seat. It may mean that you turn with somebody by you and pray with them. It may mean that you need to go to someone. I want you to use this as a time and begin to seek and say, God, is there anything in my life that you would look at me and it would lead you to say, I hate your show and pretense. God, convict me of that. Forgive me of that. Let me hide myself in you. and Let the righteousness that I live in not be a show, but let it be your righteousness living in me. God, search my heart. Help me to see, is there any partiality in me? Is there any prejudice in me? Is there anything in me that causes me to look and make assumptions or presumptions about people? God, convict me of that. God, have I been living a life that's like the nation here that was in a way privileged and overlooking those around me? God, convict me. Holy Spirit, I just ask now in these closing moments that you would fill this room and that as we take this time to to prayerfully seek you, as we take this time to hide ourselves, God, in you and who you are, God, overwhelm us with your presence. Help us be a people that are a river of righteous living, a flood of justice the world around us. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.